All right, all right. I'm springing this on you. The Cubs are in the playoffs, and they're about to clinch the divisional series. How yeah, do you feel about that day, Fitch? I don't know. I got a real strong ambivalence about this because, of course, I've been a White Sox fan for a long, long, long time. But you long lived time. in Wrigleyville? I lived in Wrigleyville, three blocks from Wrigley, for uh, almost ten years. It was a wonderful place we lived in, and that's where I met uh, Ray Ann. That's where we lived our first year of marriage, and then we moved to Life in the Line. All right, so if I seem a little too amped up, it's because uh, it's because the Cubs are in the playoffs, and I've had three cups of coffee. But we're gonna do this. Yeah, but really, can so, you really say you're a Cubs fan for Pete's sake? I've been a Cubs fan for over uh, ten years, more than ten years since I've been in Chicago here. So yeah. Yeah, but I, I remember I'm a couple a times fan. you got so frustrated, you went off the bandwagon, and you didn't root for them. True Cub fans watch until the very end every year, even though even if they're 15 right, games out right, of the playoffs. Fine. fine. They watch it all the way to but September. That's not why we're here. Okay. We're here at the Theology Mission Podcast in the Griffith Conference Room in the... Northern Seminary, Chicago, Chicago Illinois. Chicago, Illinois. Uh, I'm going to spring this hey, on the you. the leaves. The leaves are turning. Hey. Yes. Hey. Hey. Yes, hey. they are. I'm hey. springing this on you. Shoo. Theology on Mission, why do we call this podcast Theology on Mission? First two sentences come uh, to mind. Theology on Mission. Theology on Mission. Because mission engages culture, a lot of issues we've never had to deal with. In order to proclaim gospel into culture, we need theology. Theology on mission. How was that? That was good. Can you hear me? Am I I coming through on the mic? I believe so. I believe so. Just keep leaning in there so everybody can hear you. Okay. So today we're going to be talking about a particular social issue that crashed onto all of our news feeds this summer. Um, the Ashley Madison scandal. But before we talk about that, I first want to announce our Missional Learning Commons that's coming up the first weekend of November. We're going to be gathering around the theme of mission, the mission of preaching with Fitch, Dave, you. You're going to be yes, there. Yes, I'm going to be there. The very gracious and wonderful Mandy Smith, as well as Matt Tebby and Tara Beth Leach yes. are going to be leading us through multiple conversations and workshops. And not only this, but we're going to have a small book release party for Mandy's book, The Vulnerable Pastor, hosted with InterVarsity Press on Friday night. So, it's going to be a great time. Yes, it's going to be a great time. You should all be there and check it out. Now, for you special Theology on Mission listeners, we're going to offer you a discount. So if you find the show A discount? Note, a discount. On the book? A, no. Yes. On the There'll book. There'll be a 50% discount for anyone who shows up and buys the book in person. But I'm gonna. We're giving listeners a uh, 20% discount for the registration. But the registration's only the 10 bucks. No, it's like 25 bucks. Oh. So it's five dollars off. So if you go to the show notes found either at Missy Alliance on the blogs That's at Missy Alliance or Northern Seminary, you can get the discount code uh, right here, and you enter it in. It's Theology on Mission, just one word, all lowercase. Theology on Mission for the discount code. You can find the registration on our Facebook page. Look for the mission of preaching. Okay, so that's November 6th and 7th. So, but our cultural topic. Hey, hey, I just want to say preaching. Preaching, I think, is really important. This comes from a person who wrote uh, the myth of expository preaching. Okay, but, you know, I just want to say it's something we need to learn how to do, proclaim the gospel in the current society and cultural dilemmas that we are in. So preaching becomes really important. Hope you all come out. We're going to really have a beneficial, dialogical time of putting forth ideas on what it means to preach and shape imagination for mission in our communities. From Northern Seminary, in partnership with Missio Alliance, this is Theology on Mission. 
the podcast exploring God and integrating faith and life. Here are your hosts, Jeff Holsclaw and David Fitch. Now, usually for the two of us, we're always talking about sanctification, character formation, how we don't want to engage in a life with Jesus that's merely sin management. This comes from Dallas Willard. If you all don't know Dallas Willard, you should listen to his stuff. But how Or read his stuff. A lot of times we have this sense that, oh, we just need to stop sinning, and this is a character issue, and we often talk about how we need sanctification and these types of things. So usually... We're very much on point for wanting to develop character and to question the trajectories of people's lives. But in this case, we need to kind of put on another layer. So uh, why don't you set it up? This summer, there was this Ashley Madison scandal. I usually think I'm pretty up on things. I had no idea what they were talking about and why all these people knew this woman named Ashley Madison. So, um, yeah, so Ashley Madison. What happened, and what's your concerns with some of the way Christians and church leaders have responded to the Ashley yeah. Madison? Yeah, scandal. just for those of you who say I always interrupt him, I just want you to notice he interrupted me. Okay. <laughs> anyways, anyways, uh, no, Ashley Madison is this uh, website uh, that basically uh, uh, is there for people who want to get on the website, make a connection, and commit adultery. Simple as that. And um, supposedly, at least according to uh, Ed Stetzer, and I I want to refer to an article that Ed, my buddy, wrote. Ed, I love you. We're going to throw you under the bus, though. I mean, come on, Ed. Let's be good sports about this. (laughs) But he he wrote a blog post on his exchange blog uh, on Christianity Today uh, this past summer in August about supposedly a large number of pastors who had been exposed as using the Ashley Madison website. And he suggests that there'll be at least even he's 400 at least pastors that will resign from their pastorate uh, in this upcoming Sunday that, that he wrote this blog uh, in back in August. And he, and he was asking the questions, what's the church to do? How is the church to respond? And so, uh, yeah, so that's what happened. And now, so the question is, uh, for me... Um, what did Ed address, and how does it relate to the issue of how we think about sanctification in the community and the practices of living in the presence of Christ? All right, good. Okay, so I'm uh, tracking with you. All right, so Ed uh, basically uh, in the post talks about the damage that such a moral failure of a pastor does to his church, and of course, this is so true. And he urges those who have had a pastor, the churches, Christians who go to a church where a pastor's been caught in uh, the scandal of being exposed as a user of the website Ashley Madison, that they should, A, focus on God, don't focus on the pastor's moral failure. God's the one who doesn't fail, not human beings. And then, two, support those who are really having a hard time dealing with the, you know, uh, the disillusionment and discouragement of having a pastor fail, and then care for the pastor's family. Now, I think one, two, three, Jeff, those are those are pretty much uh, the standard ways that we think about dealing with moral failure. Wouldn't you say so? Right, and these are all focused on people whose leaders have been caught in this, and so instead of being focused on the leader, we need to be focused on God. We need to support those who have failed and care for their families. So that's, yeah, that's then, good advice. It's that's not... good advice. And then Ed goes on and he starts saying, okay, now for the pastor, you need to deal with the gravity of your of what you 
of your failure. And so he, he makes a couple of, uh, of recommendations there, too. He says, like, don't hush resignations. Pastors are held to a higher standard. They should publicly repent of all that they've done. And then they must be thorough in their repentance. Tell it all. Don't hide anything. And repentance, then he adds, lastly, should lead to a restoration process, two years of being under discipline and a process of restitution, reconciliation with the wife and the church. And so that, again, is like kind of status quo. Status quo. We have someone looking at us in the window right now. It's very distraction. Huge smiley face. It's our first and, fan. Yeah, we. Have, hey, I feel like I'm on a radio booth with a window, and people are getting. <laughs> yeah, but and, but here we are in Griffith Conference Room, Northern <clears throat> Seminary. But you know, where do you see the fault? In where, where do you see the fault lines here? The cracks. Where uh, I call it like the disease of evangelicalism is completely ignored in Ed's post. So it's kind of like disciplining the child in the midst of a crisis, but having no kind of vision for where to lead them out of it or how to keep them from falling into it again. Yeah. For me, this advice is, is not bad advice. It just feels like the advice that you give in the midst of a crisis. But the problem is, is are, are these types of crises just going to keep happening? We have, so right, this is, your, this is our concern. Yeah, so you're probably saying Ed's advice is probably good standard advice, I agree. But it doesn't really deal with the system, which basically can creates uh, the conditions for this to happen again and again and again and again. And uh, so, you know, very quickly, um, we have a system of church. I need to turn this phone off. It keeps going off. Maybe that's Ed calling you right now. Uh, <laughs> Ed, I love you, and you can call me anytime, but I know you're a busy guy, and uh, Ed and I have had a few engagements over the years that have been really great, uh, but here, I just want to say, Ed, I think we need to deal with the system of the church, uh, evangelical churches in particular, which idolize this insular nuclear family as the place where all intimacy and friendship takes place. And there's such, a, there's such an emphasis on this little island of the nuclear family uh, where I get all my needs met that it's simply uh, a load no marriage can bear. And yet, figure this out. I mean, figure this in. The pastor who's supposed to be leading this church with all this high expectations on marriage uh, is isolated in and of himself, unto himself. So he has a marriage that's isolated. No one talks about their problems in their marriages. And he's got to be perfect before the whole church. And so when you combine this kind of celebrity leader, this icon leader who's elevated to a status over the church, who is the one who leads as the alpha male with the perfect wife, as an example for the flock, whose marriages has to bear all the expectations of the church. Oh, this is what we're all... Uh, uh, this is what we're all aspiring to, and, and this is the person that's going to lead us to the promised land of the perfect marriage. Is it any wonder you have failed marriages, mind games going on in the pastor's head with no place to talk to anybody about this, fantasies going off because, because things are not perfect. Is there any marriage in the history of mankind since the fall? 
that has ever been marriage. I know that has ever been perfect. Uh, we know that Jesus said there's no more divorce and there's a new possibility for marriage in Jesus Christ. But still, there's sanctification that needs to be done. Is it any wonder then when pastors who are isolated as this idol to be lifted up before the community are isolated in their marriages that they're going to have this uh, kind of uh, fantasy world because they have nowhere else to go and no one else to talk to? So it seems like, um, and we've been working against this kind of culture for a while, the iconic leader, but it seems like there's a problem on top of a problem that creates this huge, this moral failure feedback loop. And so there's the focus on the family, nuclear family. Um, Did you say Dr. James Dobson, focus on the family? I didn't say all that, but you know, there's, there's a sense of evangelicalism focusing on the nuclear family. And so uh, the, the load of relationship is focused so much between husband and wife and wife and husband, and we don't really talk about our marriages or what sexual issues we're dealing with or how, how is our sex life with our spouse or how do we talk about sex with our kids. Like These are all things we don't talk about with other families often. We don't compare notes. And so you have this isolation of the family, but then on top of that isolation, which is a problem just for anyone, most people in the evangelical church, you have this further isolation of the pastor on the pedestal. And so not only uh, do families not talk, but he doesn't talk with other men. He doesn't talk with other people in his congregation. There's usually not that much accountability. If he's a good and wise pastor, maybe he has other people outside of his church that are in accountable relationships, but that often doesn't happen. And you can always, you know, you can lie, you know, these types of things. And so there's just this continuing isolation. And at the top of the pyramid, you have the solo pastor, senior pastor, associate pastors, who are in control of their life, who are in control of their marriages, but actually maybe there's a whole bunch of, uh, you know, fantasy and falsehood wrapped up all around that. And so the question is, certainly we can blame these moral failings on the moral failings of the person, but is our system creating almost an impossible situation? Right. So, you know, um, um, Ed, uh, somewhere in this article, recommends you know all these steps about restoring the pastor, but basically it's trying to keep the existing system intact. Whereas I say we ought to think also about the system. I sure Ed Stetcher agrees with me. There's something really, really wrong with the system, and I think it's by the way built on the uh, on a certain theology of sanctification. You and I talk about this when we teach at Northern Seminary or when we teach in our doctoral seminars about various, uh, uh, you're yawning. I'm talking about sanctification and you're yawning. What does that mean? <laughs> no, I'm okay. just... But, um, you know, there's, there's, the, there's the standard, I'll call it reformed uh, understanding. Of, this, is, this is an unfair rap. Even I think it's an unfair rap. It's more pietistic, theology. right? But, but it's the, this idea that I will read the scripture I will study and I will pray, and then somehow my brain will transmit the information to my body and say, stop doing that, and then somehow my body will get in line. And that's the kind of Cartesian model of sanctification. And then there's the... Uh, go, go on. You, you can take this. You know, we were talking about this today, weren't we? Or yesterday? That was yesterday, yeah. Then there's... Uh... The, you know, there's a Catholic version where if you, you know, you enter into the practices of the sacraments, then you'll be changed, and it's a very sacramental well, well, view. The sacramental idea there is, is that I am uh, this person who is fallen, 
who is progressively entering into the presence of Christ's sacrament. Mm -hmm. And through this, I am am not only being forgiven, I am taking in, I'm practicing reconciliation, and his presence changes me in the practice. Now, I'm actually very attracted to that. It's a but, but because the Catholics, whom I love in their history, made it into an individualistic thing too. What happened is um, the sacraments got turned into little devices under themselves. Whereas, what I want to say is, there's a community here where we are. Well, the correct. other option that we talked about is more of a Pentecostal or charismatic. I have an overwhelming transformative experience of oh, the, the Holy Spirit, Spirit and I assume I'm changed. I no longer have to. All I need sin. is an experience, and boom, all my my entire experience and desires and body formation has changed overnight. I'm sorry, and that lasts for maybe six months. That is an Americanization happens. of the formula of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so there's certain truths in some of these perspectives. You know, right. we certainly need to know the truth. We need to dwell in Christ and have our minds transformed. The renewing of our minds, we certainly need to be filled by the Spirit. We need to enter into the practices of, you know, the sacraments where we find Jesus. But we also need... Well, my, my theory is that, that sanctification was never meant to be an individual practice unto yourself. Uh, the navigator wheels, sort of. You know what I'm talking about? The navigator wheel approach to discipleship. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? You gotta do the Bible. You gotta pray. You Scripture, gotta... prayer, witness, community, uh, yeah, or fellowship. Maybe I think. Yeah, but but the point is, fellowship is an instrumentalized thing. Whereas we are now submitting to a community, and what do we do? We we take the Eucharist and we submit our lives to Christ's presence and the forgiveness and new life in Christ every time we sit at the table, and then we reconcile one with another. That's a practice that calls us out of ourselves to deal with our sin one with another. We we spend time being with the poor and the hurting and out of that Christ becomes present and we learn about ourselves and and God helps us as well as the other person in this community of the spirit uh, being with the poor we we hear the gospel proclaimed and we respond in obedience and faith we are with children we are we are the gifts of the holy spirit are at work prayer we are regularly in prayer submitting all things to the kingdom of god and out of this Spiritual practice. This is why I think Dallas Willard is so important. But Dallas Willard, still being a Bap- the Baptist that he was, individualizes these practices, mm-hmm. and I think they're best done in a community. So to get back to Ashley Madison and Ed Stetzer, if we have this individualized view of sanctification, where everyone is an individual, including the big cheese pastor at the top, and you're all individually responsible for your own self sanctification. If what I'm saying about sanctification is true, it is doomed. Mm-hmm. The pastor's basically stuck at the level of maturity at where he's at. And my, my contention is if the pastor's not growing, the church isn't growing, and the whole thing is stuck in this kind of uh, false face mm-hmm. kind of Christianity. Well, and the problem is, is that you have extremely high-capacity leaders as far as gifting goes. And then the ministries can multiply and grow, but there's not a sense of a congruent growth in character in the midst of the growth of their churches or other things, and they can rely on their gifting. And then all of a sudden they're relying on their gifting, relying on their gifting. There's results, or there's not results, and there's pressure. And then, boom, there's moral failing because the gifts weren't being matched by by the character. Um, There wasn't a congruent growth there. And so when we talk about theology on mission... And you're talking about uh, how do we change the system. In a sense, we're asking, 
is there an adequate theology of sanctification within the evangelical church that we can pull from, which is social, which is corporate, which is communal, not that is for the pastors only, but certainly includes them. Yeah. And I think we're trying yeah. to say it doesn't seem to be one. We just go from failure to failure. We, we put in strictures and we, you know, we come up with crisis plans and we hope for the best later. And frankly, that's not going to cut it. This yeah. is just going to happen again, not with Ashley Madison, but some other websites. Certainly happens all the time with pornography and yeah. affairs. And so, you know, th- this is happening. And it's, and it it's, the con- it's the constant temptation of the pastor to go isolate himself and play at being sanctified instead of actually being sanctified. Um, so I, I recommend, in, in, you know, my, my, my main complaint to summarize is, is that Ed's answers don't address the system, and I'm sure he does elsewhere. It's, it, it seems like Ed's uh, trying to restore a man to the existing system, and I do mean man, by the way. It's going to be a male. But the celebrity pastor system, and even when you're not, by the way, a celebrity, it's still uh, the system within evangelical churches. Instead of that, I recommend multiple pastors. One, demythologize the celebrity and the perfection of the pastor. And instead, go with multiple pastors living together in groups where we regularly confess sin in our lives one to another. Two, I recommend demythologizing the nuclear family. We need to broaden friendship and make multiple friendships and life together as communities in the neighborhood the center of our lives. Where in which that broader community, in which the family plays its role, but it's not the center of all our community life. And then thirdly, we need a sanctification that happens around the tables, tending to Christ, practicing these sacramental practices, which I address in my upcoming book, Faithful Presence. There was a... Uh, unsolicited plug for your book? Unsolicited so, plug now, for my book. For all of you listening... Uh, you know, maybe you're pastors, maybe you minister in a church, maybe you have a pastor, maybe you could recommend us to them. But uh, this, what we're talking about isn't just for celebrity megachurch pastors. We'd be happy if you're listening. But it's for every pastor, every minister, every person who's in a leadership role. Because the advice I got coming out of seminary was if you're a pastor, you won't have any friends at the church. Did you get this advice? Oh, yeah. So I get this advice. You know, you and you shouldn't have friends because then your pastoral role, your pastoral authority will erode and you won't be able to do your work. And so you shouldn't have friends with people. Um, and so, so this advice is being given to people who don't have any aspiration to be a celebrity pastor, who are just ministering in small local churches. And I've met with, and again, they're usually men, I've met with all sorts of men who are pastors who tell me they're lonely who tell me they don't have friends, and they ask, well, where are the spaces in which you're not a pastor you're, you're just a person? Again? No, I'm not talking about you, but <laughs> I've, had, I've had these questions. And so there's this sense that we even impose this on ourselves as ministers that like, oh, yeah, I probably should, I should need, to, I need to kind of create a wall, you know, and not have so many friendships. I think a lot of this comes down to you should have friendships in your church. Like, that's okay. And then you should be known, and then you should be open to being challenged and you should be open to your failures bit by bit. Because these big failures don't happen out of nowhere. You don't yeah. go from you know, loving your wife and never having done anything to opening an account at Ashley Madison. You don't go from, you know, from A to Z overnight. There's, there's small choices, in, incremental choices that could have been stopped if they had been shared. Temptations right. <laughs> could have been shared and they could have been confessed you know, and love and repentance and acceptance could have been granted you know, at all these steps along the way. Okay, yeah, yeah. interrupt me now. Well, well, you know, I just remember first 
two or three years of life on the vine, maybe first five or six. But right off the bat, I used to get up in front of everybody while preaching a sermon and admit that I had this horrific fight with my wife and or or uh, you know I got up uh, after you know um, I, I, I got up after a fight and walked out and couldn't stand to be in my house. I, I would just say outrageous things about I'm not outrageous things actually real things showing people that I was a sinner well, and I I got married at 43 and I was not accomplished in the art of marriage as Rayanne will tell you okay <laughs> and and so right off the bat I like started confessing what a miserable husband I am and how I need to work on this and this and this usually as a uh, subtext of a sermon or something I just think it's I just think it's healthy for the pastor to show a little bit of his humanity, but not make the sermon or whatever else it is about him or herself. Mm-hmm. Right. And that sets the tone. Mm-hmm. Right. Likewise, I think, you know, one of the first things we did at Life of the Mind was get together in men's groups, and I, would, I just said, hey, look, I need you to tell me the thing that you're always thinking about me, but you're, you don't want to tell me because you know I'd be mad. Uh, but I, I'm inviting you to tell me this thing that I need to know about myself. What? Are you kidding me? You're the pastor of the church. Doesn't matter. I'm as imperfect and 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 looking for the sanctification uh, work of Christ in my life. And uh, speaking this Ephesians chapter four says, speaking truth in love mm-hmm. under the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the one of the ways the Holy Spirit will work in the body to sanctify us to the fullness of Christ. So I would appreciate a little truth right now. And actually, it was right. And that's always other- easy. That teaches other people how to be vulnerable. Yeah. Whenever the pastor is always putting their best foot forward in their sermons, using themselves as good examples, uh, whenever they always put church face on and they're always, you know, that makes other people feel the pressure to do that too. And then all of a sudden we have a whole community of people not being honest about all the stuff they're dealing with. And we're just busy with certain ministry programs rather than letting the spirit cultivate the spirit's fruit in us. And here's another which shameless is sanctification. Plug. Shameless plug because uh, Mandy Smith, his name of her book is The Vulnerable Pastor, and she'll be talking about a lot of these things on Friday night, National Learning Commons. How God works through our brokenness and how the connection is really built through the vulnerability rather than kind of the the fronting with perfectionists right now. Hey, good plug there. Way to work that in. Excellent job. All right. Any two or three last thoughts there? I'm done. All right. So sanctification. Do we have a theology of sanctification? I just got one last thought. Ed Stetzer, I love you. (laughs) I love you. All right, good. Uh, All right, if you haven't subscribed to Theology on Mission, then, well, why not? Shoot on over to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever app that you can use. Download something. Don't miss an episode. So uh, subscribe to us. And while you're there, we'd appreciate a review. It's the best way to help get the word out about us. My personal favorite review is posted recently. It says, I... I appreciate anyone who helps us put feet to our faith. I need that accountability. Great follow-up to their book, Prodigal Christianity. And Dave, the podcast is not too long, too boring, or over our heads. Oh, for goodness sakes. <laughs> so we'd love more reviews, especially okay. like that. All right. Why don't you read the review where the guy says, I shouldn't correct you so much? Because, frankly, I think it's... <laughs> guy's a little oversensitive. <laughs> All right. So, we haven't done this in a while. Yeah. Fitch versus Fitch. Uh-oh. This is, this is t- where I pull totally things off. Totally for this. I pull things off your Facebook account to ask you about it. But you never again, this pull one's, off this one's ones. I, No, I don't. I, I have a... This is, this is all right. This is get The church is or should be the affirmative answer to the world's question, 
Is human society possible? Is human, that's it? Yeah. Well, is human society possible? Isn't that a very humanistic way of looking at things? No, because This is I, all just focused on us. Where's God in all this? Uh, Where's well, God in the church? It's God's church. It's oh. what God does in Jesus Christ. There is no church outside of Jesus, the head of the church. You just couldn't fit that all in on Facebook. Right. But here's, what, here's I think, the point that I at least trying to make, and that is that I see the world as caught up in antagonisms, in anger, in me against you, in violence. Everywhere you go, and by violence I'm not just talking about war, guns, shootings, although there's plenty of that to go around. But the can we have a society? You know, that's the big question of political theology. Can we have a society where we can all get along and, and um, gather together for a common purpose? The church is the one place built around the person and work of Jesus Christ that unwinds all the violence, the antagonism, the hurt, the pain. And so the church is the place that says, yes, human society is possible uh, under the Lordship of Christ. That's what I was trying to say. All right. Excellent. Come study political theology at Northern Seminary. And you're teaching theology and the, the theology of church and culture. Next Which spring. has a lot of political theology in it. So what you reading? Do you have a what you're reading today? Hey, you didn't tell me to bring any of my books, but I got like four books I've been reading. All and, right. And just give us one. I, I seriously can't remember the titles. Uh, you know, I'm reading a lot of Judith Butler. I'm reading uh, this new ecclesiology book that... Um, frankly, Stanley Harawas quoted uh, in another book I was reading about six months ago, and I said, i got to read that book on the Church and the Trinity. Because, you know, you and I are, are uh, getting ready to write a book on, on church mission and the Trinity, or at least I hope we are. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you, you've, you've we're of, still negotiating, holding out. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, and so I'm sorry I don't have a book with a title, but I'll be ready next time. Just All right, I'm reading... This great book, it's small, so if you don't have a lot of time, you should read this. It's called From Resurrection to New Creation. Subtitle is The First Journey into Christian Theology. It's by Michael Paul. Paul is P-A-H-L. It has a short little kind of mini systematics, and it's really great. I assigned this to our students uh, just last week. They loved it. How did you find out about that And old our lovely Cherith Fee Nordling recommended it to me. Um, our brilliant Cherith Fee Nordling. Our lovely and brilliant. And the way it begins is this. This is the first sentence. In the beginning, God raised Jesus from the dead. Mm. All Christian theology begins with the resurrection okay, of Jesus. Okay, right there. That's enough for me to run out This right is a now. good book. Get on my Amazon account. From Resurrection to New Creation, A Journey into Christian Theology. It's great. People came in and actually were excited about theology. Go figure. So hey, I highly hey, recommend hey. We're always excited about I'm theology excited. and mission here at Northern Seminary. Amen. And that. I'm not just saying that. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks for listening. Please... Uh, Subscribe and shoot out those reviews for us. We'd love to see you at the Missional Learning Commons. Remember, go find that discount code. We will talk to you next time. Signing off, this is Dave Fitch and Jeff Holstoff from Northern Seminary. Talk to you later.